All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. On today's show, Little Ronnie Pudding Fingers finally responds to Trump's <laughs> attacks and quietly signs a six-week abortion ban in Florida. Kevin McCarthy has a new debt sailing plan that's probably dead on arrival. You know, his, uh, he may not have wanted to sign it, but his fingerprints were all over it. Pudding. Oh, boy. <laughs> pudding fingers. The proof. That, no. yep. The Democrats' <laughs> Dianne Feinstein problem is not going away, and neither are Clarence Thomas's ethics scandals. Then... We talked to Crooked's own Max Fisher about the epic defamation case that's set to begin this week between Fox News and Dominion Voting Systems. All right, let's get to the news. The Republican presidential primary starting to give off some 2016 vibes. Donald Trump has been attacking Ron DeSantis as a grandma-killing establishment rhino pedophile for Attra- weeks yeah, now. That tracks, yeah. But it was this MAGA Super PAC ad that finally prompted DeSantis's ironically named Never Back Down Super PAC to respond. Ron DeSantis loves sticking his fingers where they don't belong. And we're not just talking about pudding. DeSantis has his dirty fingers all over senior entitlements. Tell Ron DeSantis to keep his pudding fingers off our money. Here's the response from uh, DeSantis World. Donald Trump is being attacked by a Democrat prosecutor in New York. So why is he spending millions attacking the Republican governor of Florida? Trump's stealing pages from the Biden-Pelosi playbook, repeating lies about Social Security. Trump should fight Democrats, not lie about Governor DeSantis. What happened to Donald Trump? Uh, The Super PAC also ran this online-only ad about Trump that was targeted at Republicans who attended the NRA convention in Indianapolis over the weekend, uh, where Trump spoke, but DeSantis did not. Trump promised NRA members he'd have their back. But when Second Amendment rights came under attack, Trump abandoned us. You guys, half of you are so afraid of the NRA. I like taking the guns early. Take the guns first. Trump cut and run like a coward. Trump the gun grabber doesn't deserve a second chance. All right. What do you guys think of these ads? Uh, take on the strategy behind them, and uh, and do you think they're effective, Tommy? The pudding thing worked. It, it's it's weird and gross and funny and memorable, and it's getting covered on in the mainstream media, on social media, and it's Trojan horsing in, in this message about cutting Social Security. It was it was well done. It's, a, I, it's very good horse, point about the Trojan horsing. <laughs> I think the ho- I think the horse was pretty open. No, but I I, I get it because it's like. If you just did a, a, a another Social Security Medicare hit, no one's going to cover, cover that. that. Right, you get pudding, some fun pudding stuff in there. We, go, we got some weird pudding pops. Yeah, and then you got an, a really effective message about Social Security Medicare in there. Uh, a plus ad. A it's plus an A plus ad. ad, and we were talking about this when it first came out. It's a shockingly normal political ad. It feels like it could be made by any normal for for a Democrat or a Republican. It's just a traditional professional ad. The first thing I thought was, I'm like David Pluff probably loves this ad. I can see really him. good. This is like a, a Barack Obama versus uh, John McCain ad, a Barack Obama versus Mitt Romney ad. And the DeSantis response, like when you whine about tactics, that to me always says you are losing. If you are, you're saying, how dare Donald Trump attack a Republican? Are you just meeting Donald Trump? Did you not watch the primary? That's all he does. No Trump voters are upset that Trump is attacking another Republican. Also, so also, first of all, I do think it gives you a little bit 
there's a little bit of a hint of where they want to go, which is like, it, there's a little bit like he's creepy, he's, he's filthy. Oh, DeSantis. There's just a, yes, the DeSantis. Oh, I you, okay. No, no, no. There's a little bit of that like, you know. Yeah, he's a weirdo. He's a weirdo. He's a creep. They want to get those photos with the, with, the, with the teenagers back out there. So that's under there a little bit. Uh, the DeSantis response, I think, gives itself away when it ends with what happened to Donald Trump, which is... Kind of like saying like, oh, because even the DeSantis ad says he used to be fucking awesome. You know, <laughs> right. like you don't want your own ad to say like, God, I miss that Donald Trump guy. The, even the NRA ad, like maybe there are some hardcore NRA fans and gun supporters that are upset by that ad. But most of the ad was Trump looking tough and talking about fighting the NRA, a powerful interest group. Like, are, are you kidding me? It, it really was like um, it was an the, the gun one was much worse, I think, for DeSantis. First of all, the gun ad. Maybe it, who knows how it plays for the wackadoos attending an NRA convention, but it showed him negotiating for uh, uh, modest gun reforms with right. Democrats and Republicans. And at, we, we're, we're what, like we're seven years into this fucking Trump fiasco and you still think you get points by showing Trump not caring what interest groups think like it was, that, it's it's it wild. To me, it speaks like they, their theory of the case here is so flawed. Yeah. Um, like Republican voters who are considering ditching Donald Trump are not doing so because they think he's not conservative enough on issues like guns or abortion or because, like Tommy said, they think he's too mean to other Republicans. If they are considering ditching Donald Trump, it's because they are worried that he has now lost them several elections. Right. And for some insane reason, DeSantis isn't making an electability argument. But by the way, Trump is. Trump knows that's a vulnerability. And what he's trying to say is, hey, all you Republican voters who are maybe thinking about DeSantis, he's going to be a weak general election candidate because he wants to cut Medicare and Social Security and because he's also a little weird. Yeah, <laughs> a little, that's a little establishment, a little too rhino, but like eh, really vulnerable in a general election against Joe Biden. You sure you want to put Ron DeSantis up against Joe Biden? That's what Trump's trying to say. It's yeah, smart. The, the, there's a lot of things I think you can get the Republican base to believe about Donald Trump, but you're never going to get them to believe he's not on their side. Like, first of all, everyone's tried that. It has never stuck. No. A aside from immigration, I would argue that Republican voters did not back Donald Trump in 2016 in the first place because of any specific policy position. No. Immigration was a bit, it was, it's vibes. He it's, owns the He's an the asshole. Hardest. And it's also like, the guy is, doesn't sound like a regular fucking politician. And, and guess what? DeSantis does now. And this is when DeSantis was doing well, when he was fighting Disney and yelling at, you know, woke which corporations. Is, which he's back blah, blah. at He's again. trying to do it again, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, there's that uh, that line from Mad Men that I'll paraphrase, which is it's what I think of whenever I see DeSantis and Trump going at it, which is um, DeSantis is trying to make Republicans feel as if their needs are met, but Donald Trump makes them feel as if they have no needs. And it's just <laughs> over and over again, DeSantis gets himself wrapped around the axle because he's he's trying to win on points. And yeah. there's this underlying kind of inherent qualities that these two guys have. That he just He's not able to get past. Electability is the only thing. Yeah. And you hear all these Trump people, that even the ones that they're interviewing now who are like thinking about both candidates and they'll say, you know, what about Donald Trump? And they're like, ah, you know, some, I wish he wouldn't tweet as much. And sometimes what he says gets him in trouble. But I, I like what that he says what's on his mind. I, I trust that. I yeah. trust that. He, and with DeSantis, they don't trust that. Yeah. You it's know? like you want you want the fun dad that's going to take you on the roller coaster or not? <laughs> <laughs> no one's going on any roller coasters now. Yeah. Yeah. like well, shh, drive Disney World. Go up the, the, the roller coaster. You can see the state prison he's putting in there. <laughs> <laughs> putting dead. Yeah, he did make a joke that he was going to maybe uh, put a prison in, uh, near Disney World just to punish them more. DeSantis is also trying to get to the right of Trump on the issue of abortion. He signed legislation late Thursday night that would ban abortion in the state of Florida after six weeks, which is essentially a full ban since most abortions occur after six weeks. And many people don't even know they're pregnant by six weeks. DeSantis didn't say a word about the new law at the multiple events he held around the country, which uh, tells you how much of a winner he thinks the ban is. Right. Uh, one of DeSantis's billionaire donors, Thomas Petterfee, sounds like a perfect billionaire donor, sure, yeah. told the Financial Times that he and a bunch of his friends are now, quote, holding our powder dry because of the governor's stance on abortion and book banning. From a political standpoint, why do we think Ron DeSantis did this? He had a 15-week ban. This seems like a political suicide. The, the numbers are not even close. Uh, the University of Florida did a poll in February that found that 75% of Florida residents opposed a six-week ban, including 61% of Republicans. 
this is an insane idea. It will have huge ramifications outside of Florida because Florida was unfortunately a place a lot of women had to go to get abortion services because other states around it had even more draconian bans. The only reason the Florida legislature could pass this is because the state is so gerrymandered. But this just seems like an insane decision, like sort of a kamikaze political decision to try to win a primary that will have huge ramifications for DeSantis and the party in any general election. Uh, Somebody uh, uh, close to DeSantis said this to The Washington Post. Abortion is not an issue that motivates him. I can tell you that. But it's one of those, what choice do we have? And it's like he he clearly had hoped that the 15-week ban would get him uh, uh, to the other side of this issue without having to uh, uh, pick a fight uh, with the evangelical base that wants a total ban. Uh, but he couldn't come out against this. He clearly didn't want to do a six-week ban, but felt dragged to it by the, the right-wing members uh, in the Florida legislature, and now he has tied himself to this uh, evil fucking thing, and he can he can sign it behind closed doors all he wants. It is going to follow him uh, for the rest of this campaign. Clearly, like you guys said, the motivation is to try to win this primary and general election. We'll worry about that later. I don't even know if it really is going to help him in this primary, yeah. partly because of what we were just talking yeah. about with the NRA ad, too. It's like, this theory that the evangelical base, they just they really just care about abortion and that's it. Like it, it, maybe at one point they used to. It's all vibes now. This, the, the, you, they're not they're not backing Donald Trump, the guy who's probably paid for multiple abortions himself, who's been married multiple times because they think, uh, you know, he's a he's a righteous person. But also <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Take it people? from the other side. Take it from the other side. Donald Trump on the on the issue of abortion. Donald Trump is the most successful Republican president in in a in a half century. He stacked the court with right wing judges who are who are anti abortion. He delivered them the majority that got rid of Roe v. Wade. You can't you, you can try to get to the right in this politically stupid way, but you're not going to win on that issue. I, so I, it's 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 really baffling. There are reports that um uh, Trump's been telling anti-abortion activists that Republicans risk losing big on this issue unless they soften the messaging. Uh, and Trump wants to be emphasizing exceptions to bans. And he thinks that all of these total bans are are bad now, which, by the way, for Trump is very silly because it's like like you just said, he's the guy that um, literally his judges are the reason that Dobbs happened. Well, he's been saying, look, guys, we got to lie a little bit. Come on, work with me here. He's been saying this for years. He's been saying this for years. He was, when he was first, before he was, before he even got the majority to do it, he was worried about the political implications of this and kind of has always kind of joked about the evangelicals being kind of weird to him. He's never got them. They're not, they don't resonate on the same frequency. I mean, how long until Donald Trump starts openly attacking DeSantis for the six-week ban? You can see it. I I mean, it's going to be hypocritical, obviously, but I can, he's going to be too extreme. He's not going to win the general medicare and social security position his abortion position this guy's a weirdo it's the pudding the and the pedophilia I will, and the, the 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 one the one piece of this is i can imagine DeSantis thinking like i if i i'm just trying to get this get past this issue right if he fights this thing that the majority of the caucus wants uh in the legislature he's now in a fight over abortion that makes it more salient he signed this law and now we kind of move past it even though the politics will trail him that's the only kind of cynical See, political argument you can say. I think you can't move past it because he's going to own the ramifications. It's going to be story yeah, after story after story of the horrific consequences of this law. I think it is crazy to me. I've really tried to think of it from his point of view, like just from pure hard politics. I, rem- I remember thinking he was smart for not doing this and just sort of standing behind the 15-week ban, but that would be the more palatable politically at least. And 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 there was the, there was a, 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 the Republican Senate majority leader who is someone who is less conservative on this issue, uh, was asked why she was getting behind this. And she's like, ask Ron DeSantis. She basically was like, look oh, wow. at him yeah. to help me yeah. get out of this fucking This is thing. not like the legislature just like handed him something that he's like, oh, now I have to sign it or not sign it. Like he runs that legislature. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're there he had to a choice to make. He had a choice to make whether he wanted to have the fight or not. Yes. Uh, believe it or not, there are other Republicans in this race, uh, though the potential field shrank by one over the weekend. As Never Give an Inch author Mike Pompeo did, in fact, give several inches when he announced that he won't be running for president, a political earthquake that upended the GOP primary. Other 2024 hopefuls seem to have a higher tolerance for embarrassment. Mike Pence was booed at the NRA convention in his home state where he once served as governor. Nikki Haley's campaign was caught lying about their fundraising totals. Uh, They inflated them by about $3 million because they were double counting a bunch of money. Like, oops. 
It's just getting through a news cycle, right? At a big uh, GOP donor retreat in Nashville over the weekend, Governors Chris Sununu and Brian Kemp offered some gentle criticism of Trump. And then Trump got up there and uh, mocked every single candidate's <laughs> single-digit polling. He goes, <laughs> it's actually pretty, he's like, Chris Christie, 1%. Wow, phenomenal. Nikki Haley, she's working hard. 4%, working hard. <laughs> now, before we get to the rest of the field, Tommy, yeah. is this Mike Pompeo announcement a huge blow to worldos everywhere? Thank you, John, for asking. This was um, it was a tough weekend for me and tens of others. Um, actually, oh, I prepared something. Um, okay, oh he's got a he folded something <laughs> up in his pocket. I just wanted to. Why would it be? I mean, why would it be? Andy and Olivia do have their hands some, over their mouths. I don't understand why you have to print something. Some, it's he an has important, his laptop. It's an important moment. It's just drama. Um, we we gather here today to mourn the death of Michael <laughs> Richard Pompeo's presidential ambitions. Um, I know that some of you traveled from as far away as Santa Monica to be here, uh, and I just wanted to say thank you, and that it means a lot to me. Uh, as Neil Young once wrote, Oh my God. My, my, hey, hey, parens, out of the blue, close parens. Uh, it's better to burn out than it is to rust. The king is gone, but he's not forgotten. There's not a spot of rust on you, Mike. Wow. Once described in the New Yorker as a heat-seeking missile for Trump's ass... <laughs> Mike Pompeo soared to intercontinental political heights. Born in Orange, California to Dorothy and Wayne Pompeo, Mike met his real daddies, the Koch brothers, after moving to Kansas in the mid-90s. From there, he took on Congress, the deep state, the State Department, and the world. It's hard to quantify what his absence will mean, John. As John Steinbeck said, according to Brainy Quotes, (laughs) it's so much darker when a light goes out than it would have been if it had never shone. (laughs) Mike Pompeo, the Cav Pack, from tweets with no engagement to tier two Sunday shows to sparsely attended Iowa events, you lit the way for dozens, and we will miss you. Wow, it's a beautiful performance. He really captured he captured the tone. Um, uh, okay, I, oh, there it is again. You should just we need the um. We should also layer on the Azempic jingle. <laughs> I thought, yeah, also... Um, Just saying. I, what, what, did you think, he, you think he did that with discipline? Wasn't he like the first person and maybe only person to blurb his own book too? Oh, yeah, he <laughs> oh, blurbed yeah. his own book. Yeah, he did his own book blurb. Yeah. I want to... There was one part at the end. Thank you, Tommy, by the way. Thank I, you. I, I know that you that's a Thank you for yeah. giving uh, me this moment. Space. So, uh, space Mike Pompeo, who, uh, whose whole public persona is about how sort of uh, unstoppable he is, backs doesn't out give of an his, inch. Yeah. Doesn't give an inch. Decides to give all the inches and step out. And he releases a full-page statement on Twitter about why he's doing it. But the, the end of the statement to me captured everything that makes Mike Pompeo someone with just the, the absolute worst personality in public life. And it, he ended the statement by saying this. To those of you this announcement disappoints, my apologies. And to those of you th- this thrilled, know that I'm 59 years old. There remain many more opportunities <laughs> for which the timing might be more fitting as presidential leadership becomes even more, nece- even your, more necessary. What's your, the problem with that? It is, that that is, is an incredible amazing. statement. Be like, like uh, it's a, it's very much like I'm sorry I can't meet you at the flagpole after school today. I have violin practice, but oh, next couple of days we're gonna find a time, and boy, are we gonna fight at that flagpole. He is really embarrassing. Don't threaten person. us with a good time, Mikey. It's like, but also even the end of that statement, like, so you're saying that now is not the time for presidential leadership, but <laughs> but in the future it might be. It's a it's an it's 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 just so arrogant and stupid. God, yeah. May his memory be a blessing. Yeah, I mean, I miss him, I miss him already raises a question uh, we're not going to do uh predictions here yeah. we're not mm. gonna that's gonna feel like a little 20 oh you know do you so far do you think any of these fucking yahoos are showing what it takes not even to beat trump but to like be the new ron DeSantis? if for some reason ron DeSantis uh continues to shit the bet uh it's pretty you know you could you would say like all right obviously none of these other fucking jokers but like you look at someone like tim scott and you say okay maybe and then he gets the most obvious question fumbles that you could possibly be asked about abortion and gives a absolute just a word salad in response though it actually captures i think the problem that has nothing to do with each one of those individual there was a sort of a column uh looking at like the politics of what Tim Scott is supposed to say and he's supposed to find a place in the Venn diagram that will please the evangelical base without pissing off the vast majority of Americans who are pro choice and they don't overlap they just don't overlap no. nor does nor does the republican base in being hopeful yeah that's not what they're looking for it seems like the plan right now 
is once again to hope that Donald Trump will implode on his own, (laughs) even though they all chose to defend him over the indictment that might have led to that implosion. Yeah. So even when things come up that might hurt Donald Trump, no one is going to take advantage of it or hasn't so far. No one wants to explain it. Like, yeah. if you do not go after Donald Trump directly and do so, and I, and again, I get that most of the base and most of the voters you need loves Donald Trump, so you, you have to be careful on how you do it. But the electability argument is... That is what's on Republican voters' minds. They are willing to hear a case about that. Just fucking go do it. It's um, it's a bunch of people throwing uh, buckets of water on a house fire, hoping that the house burns down. How about that? Okay. I like that. I like that. Just came to me. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it, not just cram it down, not do what generations of New Englanders have done, just stuff their feelings down, maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No, you got to talk to someone, you got to work it out, get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P-S-A. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious, he'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy or Else tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Let's talk about Congress, which is uh, back in session this week. They're back, baby. Didn't even know they were gone. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin McCarthy is still trying to pass a budget through the Republican House that raises the debt ceiling. His latest plan is a one-year extension of the debt ceiling to May of 2024. Right in the right in the middle of the campaign. That should be fun. Good idea. Uh, and this plan would gut all non-defense, non-entitlement spending, repeal student loan forgiveness, repeal clean energy tax credits that were in the IRA, increase fossil fuel production, and institute work requirements for Medicaid and food assistance. What's the thinking behind this plan? What are the chances it actually passes? Love it. It's funny to say what, what's the thinking behind the plan. It's Kevin McCarthy, uh, you know, uh, he is the political equivalent of um, checking your watch while holding a coffee, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and you know, as a rule, when Kevin McCarthy does something, you could ask if you don't really understand it. It's like, is this is he smart or is he stuck? And the answer is never that he's smart. And in this case, you would want to say, okay. He knows he's in a bind. He made all these promises to the base to get the speakership. So he needs to go through the motions of putting forward these kind of draconian cuts to show that this can't pass, ultimately on the road to what can pass, which is a a clean increase that is mostly passed with Democrats in the House with some Republicans who jump on board. You would like to think that that is what we are heading towards, but more likely he is just putting one foot in front of the other trying to get through a day. Beyond that, I don't know. He's just trying to figure out, he has to put something forward so he can blame Biden for refusing to negotiate and they haven't released a budget yet, I think still, even after the speech. The the thing that bumped me was doing this speech at the stock market 
was an interesting choice. Yeah, he spoke, of, he spoke. He went to Wall Street today and spoke at the stock market. Yeah, a bit, a bit like uh, an Al Qaeda member doing a press conference on an airplane. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> check out this thing I'm about to crash. I don't know. Uh, I see. I, 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 <laughs> I guarantee you that these CEOs care a hell of a lot more about their stock price than deficit spending. Look, I don't know what the guy's doing. I, th- yeah. I mean, it, it's it's what you said, Tommy. He wants to. All he's thinking about is I got to get something through the House, right? And so mm-hmm. I got to find a majority of House. I've got to find basically all of his House Republicans to vote for this plan, and that means he needs the Freedom Caucus wackos. He right. needs the the problem solvers, right? He mm-hmm. needs he needs everyone. He needs most of the caucus. And then if he can pass it, he can say, okay, Joe Biden, you told me you'd sit down and negotiate. If I had a plan, I passed a plan. If you don't like it, that's fine, but at least sit down and negotiate. So then he gets Biden to the negotiating table. The question is, can he even get this passed the House? Because I, the way this plan is now, it's not the draconian balanced budget in 10 years, which they've all given up on, or cutting Medicare and Social Security, which they seem to have given up on as well. But the cuts are deep enough that uh, some moderate Republicans are already starting to balk at the plan. Yeah, I just... It all is heading to the same place, whether it's whether it gets killed by some House Republicans or it makes it to the Senate and gets killed by Republicans there. We're heading to a place where at some point this will be the question will become, will Kevin McCarthy say, sorry, guys, I tried. And that is where this has to head. But it doesn't seem like he's going to acknowledge that. anytime soon. I just think he's trying to keep the speakership as long as he possibly can. But I mean, creating work requirements to receive Medicaid and food stamps. So if you have cancer. You have to go out and get a job, and then you can get chemotherapy. That's what we're doing here. And then Reuters uh, found that most of the spending cuts McCarthy wants will hurt states Trump won in 2020 more than uh, blue states. No, yeah. It, the Both the, the cuts to domestic spending on education and transportation will hurt those states, and instituting work requirements would also hurt those states because the vast majority of people who are on Medicaid and food assistance are in those states. Yeah, I just... You sort of step back from all of this. It's like, no, this this ridiculous these ridiculous cuts are never going to become law. There's not what there's probably not forty votes in the Senate. For yeah, they're dead. Even, in the they're Senate, dead. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, well, where are we heading? And it's just we're we're ba- whatever shenanigans McCarthy pulls over the next few months, is he going to bring to the floor something that would pass with majority Democratic votes? And and then lose the speakership. Yeah, and then lose the speakership. But I do think if it um, if this fails in the House, this plan, if he can't even get it through the House. Ironically, we might get a a, a better outcome sooner yeah. because it, he will continue to fucking drag this along. By if he get, he if he gets it through the house, he's going to claim it's a big win. We're going to know it's not. The right. press is probably going to be oh McCarthy got it passed. Time they didn't for think Joe to negotiate. Time for yeah. we're going to get a round of time for Joe or, to negotiate. Or it's like now it falls to McConnell and she, there's just going to be yes. Sure. It is going to be a bring McCarthy. Why don't bring you bring McCarthy to the White House and just sit down and talk about the plan? You don't have to accept the plan. You just have to negotiate. And Biden's going to have to say, no, I don't want to negotiate. It's got to be a clean debt ceiling. And this and is what McCarthy is thing. telling to the members that are like, yeah. don't make me vote for this right. fucking That's thing. Right. That's just right. But if time. McCarthy fails now, then it's then I think it's right to then McConnell and Schumer have to get together and Figure just start out. figuring something else. That and they then jam force through the house. jam through the house. But someone has to call it for a vote on the floor. Yeah. We have an update on 89-year-old Dianne Feinstein, who Lovett's been trying to shove out of the Senate. Mm. I've uh, been, uh, excuse me. Uh, there's no shoving. There's you know, light, a there's gen- a, gentle... An invitation. Uh, push. An invitation. Mm-hmm. An invitation. Just sort of a... Prodding. Prodding. Cattle. Mm-hmm. Prod. Uh, Chuck Schumer said he spoke to the senator who said uh, she hopes to return soon. But he still wants to appoint a temporary replacement on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, ain't happening. First, they thought maybe unanimous consent. Then Tom Cotton was like, nope, not unanimous consent. And then they're like, OK, well, you could do it with 60 votes if uh, maybe Mitch McConnell will help us out. Yeah. And then all these Republican senators over the course of the day are like, what? Why would we help Absolutely Democrats and affirm judges? Absolutely not. Which, uh, of course, what, if if the shoe was on the other foot and this was a old Republican senator that they were trying to replace, would we be like, oh, yeah, yeah Democratic senator, months. help out Mitch McConnell, help them pass those of course judges? Not. Of course not. Crazy. And so, and yeah, so there's the, the idea that there would be these 10 Republican votes, like everyone from the far, furthest right, like Cod and all the way to like Susan Collins are like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, what are you asking me? <laughs> Absolutely not. Never. No. So what other options are there now? Love it. There's really uh, two options. Uh, option number one is that Sy- Senator Feinstein returns to the Senate to uh, participate in her vital work mm-hmm. uh, as a representative of the most populous state and a member of the Judiciary Committee, or she resigns. And although you and I were talking about this before the pod, if she resigns, 
It still might be hard to replace her. It still might be hard to replace her on the committee. So basically, everyone is. There's been a lot of kind of. I think um, now this this will happen on Twitter. I don't know if you noticed it. People just saying things like Schumer can replace. No, Uh, in fact, Schumer does not have the ability to put anyone on a committee that requires the Senate to vote. Now, normally that happens without incident at the beginning of the Senate. It's very you know it's very decorous. Everybody gets along, Uh, but it requires 60 votes or or unanimous consent, which is ultimately the same thing. And that have basically Republicans get together, decide who's on their committees, Democrats uh, get together, and then they all kind of agree. Although, if you remember, there was a moment at the beginning of the last Senate where Mitch McConnell held up the vote with a filibuster for a while. I remember we were like, this the committees can't meet. It's going to be really important. We've all forgotten about it, but it did happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, Cornyn today uh, uh, told reporters that the temporary replacement thing is out of the question but there's a precedent for a senator resigning and there being an opening in the normal course of business that they would uh, allow someone to fill the seat. Now, my concern- But they could be assholes if they wanted. Well, my concern is that we've now had like a two-week news cycle that began with Dick Durbin saying, hey, I can't confirm judges, that has now rem- basically made this not about a routine filling of an open opening, but a question of will Democrats get to confirm more judges? So I worry that that is- Planted a planted a seed that is growing in the minds right. of the Oof. fertile minds of your Tom's Cotton and so yeah. forth. If only you hadn't started this news cycle. Uh, Dick Durbin started this news cycle. I just helped it along. Don't, don't blame Durbin. You always blame Durbin for everything. <laughs> um, I don't know what to do with this power, guys. I've never felt so power. I'm gonna, I, you know, I'm eating raw meat and thinking about what other old people I can push out of their jobs. How about well, Clarence Thomas? Yeah, I was going to say that's a good idea. Perfect segue, Tommy. That's perfect a good idea. Segue. Oh wait, can we? Do, I do want to make one more point though about oh, about we so kind of we amazing were flying segue. into the next. Well, what other? What else you got? What let's, else you got? I just want to make. How powerful just, are you? Yeah, let's rank this. Fucking I just want to make one more point about this. All right, which is because this could happen quickly between pods, and and I just need to have said this. <laughs> which is this? Don't, you don't want Dan to take this point. <laughs> yeah. Which is which is this? That's how it usually goes. Uh, <laughs> given, given, I'm gonna say it before it ends up in the message box. His lips to God's yeah. ears. Right? It usually goes the other way. It usually goes message box through me to the pot. You know, a, I'm, a, the I'm basically Chat GPT for add jokes to message box. <laughs> but, but basically, you know, if if it if Senator Feinstein can't return soon, and there's and she and she does decide to, as the L.A. Times said, heroically step aside, which I think is a nice. Term. I like that too. Then it would be it would be Newsom's job to fill the seat. Newsom promised to Joy Reid in March of 2021 that he would replace Diane Feinstein with a black woman. Barbara Lee is obviously a uh, black woman who is running for the seat. That would mean that both of if he were to appoint Barbara Lee, that would mean both Senate seats were filled by appointment. And now I don't think given that the campaign's already started, I don't think that means we don't have a race between Adam Schiff and Katie Porter and Barbara Lee. But I do think. If we're all, everyone who's paying attention to this, I think we all should really hope that Gavin Newsom appoints. He said when he told Joy Reid, there are many people on his list. He should appoint someone if this seat opens up that is not going to run for the seat, so that Democrats uh, get a, the Demo- so that we have a chance to vote for a senator, so that both of our senators have not come from the from an appointment, but that one of our senators has been chosen by us. In an election. Look, I just want to thank you very much for making that point that we discussed extensively on Thursday's pod. Yeah, but mm. I didn't discuss it. And that, now, when just is that? Just a whole how conversation. Did you, get, did you exactly that? Did they really leave it in? It's all. <laughs> Wait, how about, it Andy? In. How much leave of it? it how much in. of it? The sausage. Has Wait, been what do you mean? Wait, Andy. <laughs> so you just cut it then? No, we're leaving. No, this now in. we're leaving no, it in. Now we're leaving I, I got to listen to the Thursday pod. Yeah, I'm making a show Thursday. Check it for me. Let's see if we can, we can tighten this up. We'll get you a reader. Clarence Thomas. The right-wing justice now plans to amend his financial disclosure forms after ProPublica, on a roll, reported that he failed to include a real estate deal with sugar daddy Harlan Crow, where the Nazi memorabilia buff bought three properties from Thomas, including a home where the justice's mother still lives rent-free. Uh, the Washington Post then reported that Thomas has also erroneously claimed income from a defunct real estate firm for the last several years, though that one may be more of a bookkeeping error. But, you know, not great. So Dick Durbin, who's <laughs> coming up all the time these days. He's People the are talking more and more Dickie about D. him these days. Yeah, he's being recognized more and more. Um, he said that they'll hold a hearing about Supreme Court ethics on the Judiciary Committee. But some activists are calling on Congress to subpoena Thomas to testify. Can they? Should they? What do we think? Tommy? I mean, they should give it a shot. I, I do want to just talk about this real estate deal for mm. a minute because Harlan Crow, they buy the house that 
Clarence Thomas's mother still lives in. Someone did the math on how much uh, rent she hasn't paid, and it's, they say Business Insider suggests that saved her 150 grand. So that's interesting. He also bought like the whole neighborhood. He's gentrifying the whole neighborhood, and he's he's refurbishing this house that Clarence Thomas's mother lives in, while also saying he wants to turn it into a museum. <laughs> Which is oh, a I weird the museum. Part. Oh yeah, no, it's all about a museum. Which is a weird for thing. more Nazi, Nazi memorabilia. No, 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 for Clarence Thomas. <laughs> yeah, like a Clarence yeah. Thomas museum. But if you're going to turn, if they're going to be like, this is his childhood home. You don't. <laughs> I like, run out of places to keep all my Nazi memorabilia. <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're going to like turn a childhood home into a museum, you probably don't like gut the place and, and refurbish it, right? So it's also mm. not the first time he's made some sort of bookkeeping error. He also Thomas failed to disclose his wife's income from the Heritage Foundation for years. Oh. She made $686,000 between 2003 to 2007. And he kept clicking like the box that said no on whether she had any non-investment income. You know, <laughs> it's just- it's just mistakes keep happening to him. He didn't, doesn't think these are rules matter or that they're important or that, that he should be held to any kind of standard. To your question, John, uh, can they subpoena him and should they? They can and they should. Yeah, that's it. They can and they should, and there's well, gonna be a lot. They of... can if uh, if Diane well, Feinstein People... comes back. We got, we're gonna need every vote. We're gonna need every vote. And, Sheldon... and I don't want to be a shingles issue voter, but I do think it's really <laughs> oh important. Oh my god! That we... Can't believe you saved that till now. I forgot. I typed it actually. And I forgot to say it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's prepped just in case. If I if I if I'm called if I'm canceled for it, just know that I it was premeditated. That's good. Uh, Sheldon Whitehouse is pushing the Attorney General uh, Merrick Garland to investigate Thomas as well. Yeah, I think. Oh yeah, we'll there's be a dead lot of, by then. There's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Merrick Garland wandering in the Justice Department with his candle in his nightgown, <laughs> slowly moving through the old house. But look, I, there's been a lot of senators saying how there's all these kinds. There's so many different people that should be doing uh, oversight. Well, they should do it too. They should give it a shot. Yeah, look, I realize. Hearing, I, I realize there's not going to be a, an extremely satisfying outcome to this, likely. But um, it, just from a pure political perspective, like. What's going to happen? There's this all this corruption surrounding this judge. He he doesn't have a high approval ratings, nor does the institution in which he serves at this point. You drag him before the Senate to ask him a bunch of questions. Yeah, it's a bad news cycle for two days, and maybe doesn't go. But what's the harm? Even what's Mrs. the harm? Even Mitt Romney today. Was what are they going to do? This, and he said that this story stinks. They're going to re- they're going to retaliate. <laughs> he did. So it's like then you were oh what, now they're going to call justices all the time to, to testify. Great, okay. great. Yeah, drag Elena Kagan before the uh, the Republican yeah, she'll Senate she'll Judiciary Committee someday. You fucking Sonia Sotomayor, what are they going to do? They're going to give great answers. Yeah, do you remember when, remember when they were like, we're going to get Hillary Clinton to testify all day about Benghazi? She made you look like dopes. It was the best day of the campaign right. for her. Yeah, I, I, that's not retribution that I'm really that, worried about. Okay, counterpoint. She did say, this is from the Wall Street Journal oh, no. opinion piece oh, no. defending Clarence Thomas. Oh. Quote, one may be tempted to think that of all people, a judge should know what the law says, but that's a nonsensical standard. A judge's job isn't to memorize statute books, it's to discern law's meaning and their application to the facts and cases that litigants bring before him. How are we not doing Take Appreciator today? That's yeah. a full playbook. I, I stole uh, it's That is a there. full playbook. James Toronto? It's, um, oh, he's awful. I, it's, I think uh, I muted or blocked him. You know, when we were in, we were in Wisconsin for the Supreme Court race, it was this incredibly like refreshing thing that everybody was just campaigning, not w- on some imaginary concept of what a judge does with calls, malls, and strikes. I'm going to be the most impartial person you've ever seen. But it was like, hey, this is an ideological context. Yeah. There are real stakes. We have real views. Abortion is on the line. Democracy on the line. We should just be doing everything we can to like pull the Supreme Court like down from this mountaintop it's been on. They are they are lawyers. They're doing a pretty good job themselves. Yeah, yeah they are. But like much. they're lawyers in drag. Six of them are freaks. <laughs> At least one's a criminal. I, like let's 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 do it every and let's do everything we can to, to have accountability. Just like it's, it's it's the right thing to do. When is John Roberts doing another public event? Because someone needs to say to him, hey man, you whine all the time about political attacks and the legitimacy of the court and don't mm. attack it, blah, blah, blah. You are doing more harm to the court's reputation than anyone else by letting this flagrant corruption go and not saying a word, you not know doing yeah. anything. I bet his, uh, I bet his schedule is pretty clear right now. Yeah, what's he <laughs> but he's, I bet he's not, well, I don't think he wants to appear at a public event and get that question. <laughs> these no. dorks are always talking at some law school about something. This is the problem is they're so insulated from any kind of, this is, why, this is why if you can subpoena him, it's a of good course, thing to and subpoena And there's going to be a whole, like, just uh, 
idiotic news cycle. People throw in terms like separation of powers and overreach, and it's already being described just as a ca- showdown. Just, just asking just fucking you to come do answer it. some questions. He's, it's but the idea that like. <laughs> The idea that that uh, like the laws that Thomas is accused of breaking are made by Congress. If he is to be impeached, it's going to be impeached by Congress. He has got that seat because he was confirmed by the Senate. It's not a violation of the separation of powers to have a Supreme Court justice testify for Congress. Look, we're also what we're doing here is we're building support, in my mind at least, for term limits. That's what I want. Yeah. Expanding the court. That's a little bit of a fantasy right now. That's like the, the thinking we're going to get rid of the Electoral College. Yeah, you, It's far, far, far away. You're probably but, not on that PJ after six years. That, that's like a 12-year kind of. Well, like, he famously um, said he's yeah, like, he's right. been on the court for 30. He's like, I've been friends with Harlan Crow for 25, 25 years. years. Let's, let's, I, I, let's start with some, let's start by trying to get some term limits on the Supreme Court. Yeah, that's, yeah, my, that's my new thought. Yeah, let's see time. if we can get. We're all going to yell about expanding the court. And we, we're so far from that. We're so far from being able to do that and having the votes. But I bet. I, term limits is probably easier, and I still think it would be pretty effective. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of these octogenarian uh, senators are going to be big fans of term limits. <laughs> what else do you guys talk about on Thursday? The senator, <laughs> senators, uh, <laughs> a lot of senators just looking at that wet but bathroom floor thinking there, but for the grace of God, go I. <laughs> All right, when we come back, Tommy do, and I will talk to... Do not DMCA this. It's Tom, just YouTube. Uh, when we come back, Tommy and I will talk to crooked contributor Max Fisher about the Fox versus Dominion trial. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Are you like me and tracking the polls obsessively this election year? Well, Dan Pfeiffer's right there with you, and he's taking them seriously, but not literally. Take an average of the polls. Don't forget about any one poll. And the thing that we try to tell everyone in every episode of this podcast is a poll that has Biden up to and a poll that has Biden down to, they all tell you the exact same thing, which is this is a very, very close race. The goal of this podcast is to help people understand polling and freak out about it just a little bit less. Explore the latest polls, what they actually mean, and whether or not it's time to hit the panic button. Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at crooked.com slash friends. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. The defamation case between Fox News and Dominion Voting Systems is scheduled to kick off this week, though as of right now, we're recording this on Monday afternoon, a last-minute settlement is still possible, guys. Could be in the offing. Could be in the offing. Uh, Here to talk about the strength of Dominion's lawsuit and the many implications of this case is Crooked's newest contributor, Max Fisher. Hey, Max. Hey, pals. What's going on? Thanks for having me. Why aren't you in Wilmington? That's where all the, that's where all the cool I am. kids are. I'm, I'm hologramming in from Wilmington. <laughs> oh, right. That's, that is, all it is, the media it is wild down here. It is popping some, off. Some Just very fired up media reporters out in, in Wilmington for no <laughs> trial. case of the century. It's, it's a glamorous field. What can I say? Uh, so there's been reporting that Fox has wanted to settle this case for a while now, but mm-hmm. um, so far Dominion has refused. What do you think might get them to change their minds at this late stage? So we don't know why. Dominion has declined to settle. It stands to reason that Fox News wants to because they've already settled one separate case over 2020 election 
lies. Um, there are two kind of most plausible reasons in my mind, although we don't know for sure. One is just that Dominion Fox News might just have very different reads on the likelihood of the suit succeeding because successful lawsuits, defamation lawsuits against big media companies are really rare because the standard is so high for them, which I know we're going to talk about. So it might just be like, there's not a lot of precedent to look through to see the likely outcomes. Another that I, I, I find a little bit more persuasive, but it's speculative, is that Dominion has a bunch of defamation cases out right now related to this specific set of lies around the 2020 election. And this might partly be about signaling resolve to those other defendants that we are really willing to go to trial, like watch us. So therefore, we're not going to be pushovers when it comes to settlement. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I, I have been reading about this. And what struck me is that Dominion seems to have a pretty strong case on the liability front on the fact that Fox is liable for this, but less of a strong case on the amount of damages that they asked for, which is uh, 1. 1. 1.6 billion. billion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the company was valued at like $80 million. Right. Yeah. Some so, of these numbers are a little like pulled from, from, from thin air. So perhaps if this is less about a cause for Dominion and more about like just it's a company and it wants financial rewards here from Fox, they just want to settle and get as much money as they can yeah um though for all of us we'd rather <laughs> we'd rather go to trial we like the show <laughs> we like <Yeah>. the show <laughs> or like a very public apology from right. fox right it's the the whole thing is is a little weird because like the reason that we care about it and that like people should care about it is that it is a test for like how far can you go in lying about elections and inciting insurrection but the terms that the case will be decided on are like like you're saying it's like how do you count up corporate damages? Yeah. So there's this like, I think like something that is coming through a lot of this is there's a little bit of a mismatch between the significance of the trial and the actual like facts of it on the face. I mean, it's also possible like, you know, they make voting systems. Maybe they care about the sanctity of democracy. What? I know, I know, I know. (laughs) These are lawyers we're talking about. So (laughs) it's possible I'm overly optimistic there. Well, so Max, I mean, you, you sort of alluded to this. I mean, you're seeing a lot of coverage of this case uh, where it's described as like the trial of the century for yeah. press freedom. Um, the First Amendment seems important in, as far as amendments go. Is that fair? Would you, would you, would you <laughs> I'd, agree? I'd rank it questions. number one. I'd rank it number one. Freedom yeah. of speech, freedom of the press, they're sort of derived from this. So, w- but when it comes to libel law, I know a lot of liberals, us included, are rooting against Fox because they lied and they did it egregiously and, and that is bad and we want them punished here. But the landmark case that protects all of us from liability was brought by uh, a racist Alabama guy who oversaw the police during the civil rights era uh, against the New York Times and a bunch of civil rights leaders. So it can cut both ways. So, you know, for you as a lifelong journalist, mm-hmm. how do you feel about the prospect of a potential uh, new precedent right. that could govern you know, or curtail press freedom. Right. So the like the the premise of that is, of course, that the standard set in that 1964 Supreme Court trial is famously incredibly high mm-hmm. for proving defamation against a media organization. It's always really set the United States apart and is considered part of its press freedoms that it is so, so hard to prove defamation by a media organization because you have to prove that they internally in their own minds knew they were lying when they did it, which is incredibly hard to prove. The actual malice standard. The actual malice standard. Yeah, exactly. And so because of that, there are very, very few successful defamation suits against the media, even when they get it wrong. And that's seen as an important part of the protections for like, you can get something wrong and it's not going to blow up your entire news agency. Um, I think that there is a view among a lot of First Amendment lawyers and maybe a lot of journalists that that standard is a little bit out of sync with how much our world has changed Hmm. in the last uh, 65 years and even just the last five or 10 years where extreme polarization is so high now and the media environment is so a kind of wild west because of social media, because you get all these little networks like Newsmax, One American News popping up, and the stakes of it are so high because we've seen that it can lead to insurrection and coups that maybe there is a need to effectively soften those standards a little bit. Now, the people bringing these cases aren't saying we want to overturn that standard. They're all saying we meet that standard set in 1964. But any First Amendment lawyer will tell you if a good number of these cases, because Dominion is bringing a bunch, Smartmatic, another voting machine company is mm-hmm. bringing a bunch. If a good number of these cases succeed because it's set by a Supreme Court precedent, not by law, it will move that standard a little bit in practice. And maybe that is necessary in an age where 
our democracy is at at imminent risk from disinformation. And I think there's also a case for it on journalism grounds that like if you are concerned about the future of journalism in this country and faith in journalism as an institution, maybe you want mm -hmm. some harder guardrails to come up in the form of um, higher threats of liability because, you know, I don't like the fact that people think of the media as a monolith and think of journalism as a monolith, but they do. And their perception of whether journalism as a concept works and can be trusted is tied up in how they perceive some of the largest actors in the yeah. media. So you maybe want, if you care about journalism, people to see their consequences for deliberately lying. But at the same time, I do have this reservation that cuts a little bit the other way where there is this specific scenario that I wouldn't say keeps me up at night, but I do worry about in a world where a good number of these cases succeed and that standard for bringing a defamation suit uh, gets a little fuzzier, which is that it would become, I think, a little bit easier for companies with big pockets to try to bully or coerce news agencies into not running or into watering down stories right. that they don't want mm. to see run, even if everybody knows the story is true. Because this thing that big companies will do, and they've done it to me many times, is when you go to them with a story that they don't like, they will um, try to extract as much information from you as they possibly can about what's going to be in the story. And journalistically, you're compelled to like at least take that seriously because you're supposed to give them an opportunity to comment, to respond right, to things. Right. They will go to your editors and try to get as much information as they can about the story. They'll go to your boss's bosses and try to get information. And then they will create a paper trail of giving you lots of um, emails and, and things in writing saying that thing that you're going to report, that is not true. That's false. And the thing you learn very quickly uh, is so that- then they trap you into deliberately- Exactly. Lying, right. Which right. Is right. Actual malice, which would be the actual malice. Exactly. And, and in London, this is a big problem, right? You've 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 Russian oligarchs bringing completely frivolous lawsuits against journalists and basically, you know, putting them out of business with fees for attorneys, et cetera. Right. Right. And the fear is if you're the New York Times, the Washington Post, and a big company is creating this paper trail and saying, you know, all of these things you're going to report are not true, even if you know they're lying, if you make some innocent mistake yeah, along scary. the way, right, then they c can hold the threat over you of are they going to bankrupt your news agency right. over this one mistake. There's been a lot of talk about this very high standard of actual malice, which is, you know, either the outlet knows the information they aired was false or did so with, quote, reckless disregard for the truth. That's the description of the standard. Right. But in this case, it does seem like Dominion might be able to meet that very high standard. Like we might not even need to move the standard at all <laughs> just because, and you see a lot of First Amendment lawyers, a lot of media lawyers who've like represented media companies in these cases before, just saying that like, I mean, the sheer amount of texts, um, emails, testimony that we've already seen in the pretrial period suggests that yeah, Fox did deliberately know they were wrong. Like, you don't even have to go with the reckless disregard for the truth standard, which is the, which is the easier right. one. I mean, they clearly knew this. Um, what do we know at this stage about the strengths and weaknesses of Dominion's case? So there's not a, like, email from Rupert Murdoch saying, we're going to do the big lie now and lie about Dominion <laughs> voting systems. But it's it's pretty, pretty close. close. It's yeah. pretty close. You have to do like a little bit of connecting the dots. It's not like a 1 million percent slam dunk. Yeah. But basically what you have is after the election, you have a bunch of internal emails and text messages within Fox News, which we have now because they came out in discovery in the course of this lawsuit, saying, we know that this Dominion conspiracy theory that's out there and Trump's election denial generally is false because initially they said, we don't want to follow him on it. They said, we don't want to go there. Uh, and they were talking about how the like Sidney Powell, who's Trump's lawyer, was pushing the Dominion conspiracy about how she's crazy and she doesn't have any evidence. And then you see that their ratings start to drop and then they start making it's not exactly they say, let's do this Dominion conspiracy after all to get viewers back. But you see them kind of allow themselves to be pulled in to making this choice because they have a couple anchors who are a little bit rogue and errant. And at first they're concerned about that. And then they're saying, well, actually, this has a lot of ratings. And then they're saying, well, actually, we need to bring our viewers back. And so I think that it is it's clearly pretty strong, which is why it's going to trial in the first place, whether they can prove, you know, each step along the way adds up to an intentional lie that 
is responsible for that level of damages is going to turn a lot on not just were they lying, because of course they were, and the judges basically come out and said, I think that they're lying, um, but whether they can prove that the executives at the company were involved in the lie. Well, and that's key because I've seen that now they want to go with the defense that uh, Lou Dobbs and Maria Bartiromo actually believed this. Yeah, and yeah. so it wasn't deliberately spreading misinformation. So they, they really believe this and they're just crazy. So we're going to throw them under the bus. But I think the judge said at one point in the pretrial period, like, it's not about who said it. It's about the choice to publish and air these lies. And right. that rests with the executives. Right. Or or it rests, or at least it doesn't, they can't push it off on the guests. Because initially they were saying, we're just reporting what the president and his allies are saying. These are just guests on our show. We're not responsible for the lies they tell. And I think what, the, what Judge uh, uh, Davies was saying is that, no, you chose to air that and you knew it was a lie when you chose to air it. So that is not, that you're responsible for that. The question is whether Fox will be able to, as you say, to portray Lou Dobbs and Maria Bartiromo as rogue actors. And we know now that they actually tried to coerce one of the assistants on Maria Bartiromo's show into giving false testimony that would portray Bartiromo. Right. Yeah. It seems it seems bad. And it also seems bad for Fox's case that that assistant then came out and sued the network. And it does seem like she was also pretty complicit in that lie coming out. So she's not the most sympathetic figure. But there is a lot of documentation that the executives were at the very least aware that it was happening and aware that it was false and chose not to intervene or pushed it to happen. Yeah. Um, I, I want to push you on this this sort of question of democracy, play a little devil's advocate here, because you do hear a lot of people say, like, well, with the big lie, this is bigger. This is about a threat to our democracy. Right. But uh, I think a lot of academics in particular would argue that press freedom is core to democracy right yeah. now. And in, in India, for example, ostensibly the world's largest democracy, the leader of the biggest opposition party, the Congress party, was just sentenced to two years in prison for defamation of Prime Minister Modi, actually of like three dudes named Modi for reasons I'll set aside. That seems to be the biggest threat to India's democracy, using defamation law mm-hmm. to throw an opposition leader in jail. What do you make of the argument that this case could do more than more harm than good to our democracy if it in any way curtails press freedom? I think we are balancing through these trials, although no one in the trial is doing this deliberately, we are balancing a really tough set of questions about our democracy, about how we balance the absolute standards of press freedom that we have right now against the rising threat of deliberate disinformation that clearly subsumed Fox News, even against the wills of its own hosts and executives, Mm -hmm. that they felt compelled to tell these lies that they knew were going to these extremes. Uh, How do you balance those things? How do you balance the freedom to get things wrong? in the media against the clearly rising intentionality of lies uh, and just the fact that we are in such a rapidly changing political environment where we have so many political actors now who are leading the media rather than the other way around and trying to pull them towards uh, election denialism that has uh, clearly real gravity and real weight Mm -hmm. with the audience. Uh, I mean, it's it's an irony that these big weighty questions of trade-offs are being litigated through a question of corporate damages mm-hmm. for for a profit company, which like welcome to the United States of America. Yeah, like yeah. that's where the priorities are. Yeah. It's not like if you tell lies that lead to an insurrection, like we're not going to sue you over that. But right. you you know you lose some profits for a company that's bad. Um, it's also like what do you what do you define as journalism? You know we've talked about Fox a lot on this program, and they like to think of themselves as a media outlet. I think. There was a time when other journalists would think of them as a media outlet that was just conservative. I think that time has passed for most for a lot of people (laughs) um, who aren't Fox fans or or mag people. So then, like, are you able to get away with um, just lying intentionally um, because you call yourself a media outlet? Right. You know, and I think that's that's a that's one of the things to balance as well. Yeah. And it's degrees to it. I think what's fascinating about the disclosures that we saw of Fox News' internal emails and text messages is you actually see them wrestling with this question in real time because they have reporters. They do have, they're obviously a diminishing part of the network, but they do have reporters who do re-reporting. And they had a reporter who fact-checked, I think, one of Sidney Powell's press conferences and was getting just dragged internally within the network because people saw 
the host saw, the executive saw that that was playing into hurting their ratings. Now, at the same time, the I executives- I think Hannity and maybe Tucker Carlson said, we need to fire her like right away. Was right, the right. They right claimed away. that she was hurting the stock price, which I might actually be true. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, sure was. Hopefully. <laughs> and, you know, you saw you saw Rupert Murdoch initially after the election saying, we're not going to go down elec- election misinformation. We're not going to go around down election denial because I think this is bad for the country. And then he changed his mind. So uh, I, I don't have any delusions that the people at Fox are going to make the right choice because of ethical reasons. But I think there is a question of what are the financial incentives that are going to push them to do the right thing. And maybe ultimately the question of what right-wing media in this country looks like will come down to, are the financial penalties of lying to the extent that Fox and others lied going to exceed the financial penalties of telling the truth, which means that you're going to lose viewers yeah, to YouTube yeah. channels, basically. I mean, what do you think it says about Fox and the larger right-wing media ecosystem that they felt the need to chase these online conspiracies because they were afraid of losing viewers. So it's so fascinating because it 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 didn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. You know, I really thought that watching like Fox News arrive at this place in real time in 2020 that it was um you know, they love Trump, they want to keep Republicans in power, so they're making a deliberate top-down choice to broadcast these conspiracies. And what we know now is that they did it basically out of fear and they did it out of this realization that they had I mean, you can pinpoint it almost exactly to like November 12th, if you look, or like November 10th, 12th, if you look at the emails and the text messages, where they initially said, we're not going to do election denial. And they thought that that decision was going to be enough to shape the narrative because for 25 years, Fox News has been in charge of what the right thinks. And they've had an iron grip on what, what are the narratives, what are the facts, you know, who's right, who's wrong, what are the good policies, bad policies. And you see them realize that that's not true anymore. And they no longer have the power to set that narrative because they can tell people that Trump lost the election and then they're just going to go someplace else. And that they are realizing that they now live in a world where there is always going to be someone, some social media, some crazy network, Trump himself, who will serve the kind of most base extreme QAnon parts of the party. And they made the wrong choice in deciding what to do about that. But I think it's a big question about what choice are they going to make going forward? And I mean, hopefully facing at least the threat of financial penalties will guide them a a better direction. Well, and to Tommy's questions about sort of the balance between protecting press freedom and stopping the spread of disinformation, the fact that Fox now chases these conspiracies that are mainly developed online that then get fed to places like OAN and Newsmax makes that question even more complicated because, again, what is a media outlet if it starts in some 4chan forum and it spreads around and YouTube? And it's like I would argue, though, they've been doing that for a long time. I mean, what was mm-hmm. the birther conspiracy if not for like an online thing that hopped to That's Fox true. and to other you know, so yeah. look I mean I think like this is the courts are catching up with uh, Fox's practice for a while here I think the internet was always a where at least for the last 20 years however long we've been doing this I think the internet was always a source right but the power their power to set the narrative and change it and cut it off that has diminished oh, it, absolutely. it feels like it's flipped almost. I mean like you know I think the big moment was when uh, they sent Megyn Kelly out mm. to ask Trump a bunch of tough questions at a debate. He attacked her in the most vile ways imaginable. Uh, they backed her for a couple days and then eventually showed her the door. You know what's funny is when you just said Megyn Kelly, I thought you were going to talk about um, the 2012 election night. Remember uh, when Carl Rove, Carl Rove and, like and running all down the, the Romney hallway? people were like, that was incredible. no, Obama didn't win yet. This is fun, whatever. And they were because they forgot that um, uh, that black people voted in Milwaukee. Um, and then Megyn Kelly went over and was like, no, that's wrong. He, you know, and so like that right. was the reverse. And Fox was able to. Right, right, right. They did have that power. Stop yeah. the crazies. But they've they've long lost that power. Right. I think you're right, though, that the 2016 election was like another big version of this moment or it's it's like it's what you see with the Republican establishment like 2016 they hated Trump tried to stop him failed and then we're like I guess we'll just embrace him right. no matter where it takes us yeah get in front of this parade yeah train no, it is train clear called it, a parade yeah <laughs> it is clear there are not a lot of um, tools to fight disinformation right now and the uh, the legal one that we're going to be witnessing this week and in the coming weeks is um, 
definitely a, a different one that we've talked about over the last several <laughs> years, and it's not perfect. The standard's not perfect, right. um, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. It does feel like it. It in my mind, it's very of a piece with the Trump Stormy Daniels indictment and the many other indictments, where it's like it's a sideways way into what I think is like the biggest question facing this country right now, which is: is there going to be accountability for trying to do a coup and overturn American democracy yeah. two years ago? Because be- the guy who did it is, uh, you know, a coin flip away from uh, becoming really, yeah. president again. Crazy. Yeah, although maybe president from a jail cell. That's yeah. That's <laughs> either way, Max Fisher. Thanks for uh, for joining us in this, and I know you're going to be following the trial for these next uh, next couple of weeks, if there is a trial. Yeah. Unless we wake up and there's a settlement. Are, settlement are you guys tomorrow. coming down to Wilmington with me? Yes, we'll be there. It, it, okay. Yeah, Joe says it's fun. There's things to do. <laughs> we going to crash at his house. I don't know. Does Amtrak go there from L.A.? It's gotta. I think there's gotta <laughs> I think be. You a go through break. Wilmington on the way to New York, right? That sounds right. That would be my yeah, only perfect. point of reference. <laughs> Train through country is that a thing? <laughs> Flyover country. Yeah, give him, give him a second term, and we'll have those. We'll yeah, have those trains out there. Dan's yeah. gonna yell at us now for making fun of Delaware. <laughs> He's running for Senate there. All right, Max. Thanks for stopping by, and uh, we'll check in with you as the uh, trial continues. Great. Thanks to Max Fisher for uh, joining, and uh, we will talk to you on Thursday. Love it. You want to join the pod? <laughs> Sounds like he doesn't. John. <laughs> <laughs> Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producers are Haley Muse and Olivia Martinez. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineered the show. Thanks to Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Sandy Gerard, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montu. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash podsaveamerica. America. 